I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Hello and welcome to JK Plus One. I am not your host, PTF. Uh, where is PTF? I think he's just at his house. Which is nice. I mean, he's been running around all over the world. He's been in California. He's doing karaoke. He's carrying on. Uh, I think at one point he told me he ate 18 um, dumplings from from uh, from Den Tai Fung. 18. And then he said he went to dinner afterwards. That's just what he told me. I don't know if it's true or not, but he did tell me that's what he did. I am your host, Jonathan Kinchin. And uh, we're back uh, from California. We've been running around. We were in Chicago. Uh, I recorded this episode about six days ago and had the intentions of posting it while I was traveling. And then I realized that I didn't record the intro and the outro. And I never just could find a spot to do it. So now I'm back. And here we are hitting it, uh, hopefully in time for for some folks that are doing some Thanksgiving traveling. It's a fun episode. It's an episode I've wanted to do for a long time uh, with my friend Craig Milkowski from Timeform US, a figure maker from Timeform US. And uh, being the horse player that I am that focuses the most on speed figures, um, it was a fun conversation to just, you know, on a, there's no better way to say it, kind of nerd out a little bit and talk about all these fun behind the scenes things when it comes to making these figures. So much about our industry is built on speed figures, uh, private sales of horses, uh, stallion deals can be made uh, based off of a speed figure. Look at a horse like McLean's Music, who who uh, had an abbreviated career, but the speed figure was enough to get this horse uh, into the stallion uh, shed. So, look, I, 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 this is a, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a in-depth numbers conversation, and but I think it's a, it's an important behind-the-scenes aspect that uh, all people in the industry would find interesting and and to understand a little bit more about speed figures, which drives so much. Of, of the decisions that go on in our sport. Um, enough of me. Let's get to my friend, Craig Milkowski. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? Uh, just got back from the Breeders' Cup, so winding down a little bit. Uh, got back into working today, finished up our, our Timeform US uh, forecast where we do picks. So I'm all handicapped out today, but I'm always willing to talk racing. I love that. I, uh, what do you, so do you, are you there working when you're at the Breeders' Cup or are you just there hanging out enjoying? No, I was just hanging out enjoying, uh, this year. No, no work for me. I went on my own dime, which uh, my wife gets mad at me for. Uh, she says I should make my employer pay. So I'm going to take that under advisement when I decide whether I should go to Del Mar next year. <laughs> do you, when you're at the racetrack, do you find yourself, um, like looking at races as a figure maker, do you, do you find yourself taking notes in your phone? Oh, it's this thing, that thing, that time looked fast, or do you just relax and handle all that stuff later? No, I kind of separate those two worlds, the, the figure making and the betting. When I'm betting, I, I'm just looking at the figures, uh, believe it or not, almost like somebody else made them. Just like when I used to the handicap way before I made speed figures and was using buyer speed figures. You know, I, I just separate the two in uh, two different worlds. Every now and then, like when I'm at home, I'll notice times that look funky or of course people always tag me when something goes wrong but when i'm at the track i very rarely even pay attention to those things i'm i'm kind of focused on the betting because it's it's tougher than it is at home i don't bet as seriously when i'm at the track it's more a social thing just because there's so many distractions but i try to block out as many as i can do you do you do you find yourself handicapping at the track or do you do all your work before you get there and then you just kind of make decisions on the fly yeah, I mean, most of the, 
I'm a big guy. I, I don't bet a whole lot of claimers and maiden claimers. I focus on the better races as a better. So I'm familiar with most of the horses. When I'm at the track, I, I'm mostly just watching the odds and, and seeing how they fit with my opinions. Although somehow, even though I, I totally dismiss fierceness, uh, I never imagined he'd be 16 to one, for example. But because I was at the track, I, I just didn't notice it. And I think I really blew one there because that's a horse I, I definitely would have bet at that price. So that's why I say it can be tougher. I never would have missed that at home. Uh, but yeah, it's just a, a different, especially when you go to the Breeders' Cup. Like when I go to Remington, it's not so many distractions. I don't really know very many people there, if any. Uh, the people I know there are working, so I'm not going to associate with them during the card very much. So it, it's one of those where I prefer to bet at home, but I do love the social aspect of going to the races. So it, it's just kind of a trade-off. Yeah, I mean, when you talk to, when you talk about a horse like Fierceness, um, and for those who are like that don't know, I, I don't. If you don't know who Craig Milkowski is, Craig does the 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 figures for Timeform US, and one of the figures that I it, it's probably the figure that I trust and lean on the most from from a public standpoint. Um, and 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 I've and I've I've told you that before personally and professionally. But do, how do you feel when you look? I know how I felt when I looked back at the at the past performances and saw that fierceness had the best best lifetime figure and and he definitely had the best debut and i just felt like kind of an idiot that he as he was galloping down the middle of the stretch yeah it's one of those you know I mean, you're going to miss things in this game. So I try not to dwell on it. I mean, I was over it by the time he probably hit the, the clubhouse turn the second time. I just, you know, it's one I, I looked up and saw the odds and said, well, I blew that one. And then I just kind of move on. Uh, you know, I did consider that horse before because of the big speed figure he had run. And he certainly, certainly validated it. Uh, I've been a little lazy since I got back from the Breeders' Cup. I haven't run any queries to see where he stacks up historically on Breeders' Cup juveniles, but I imagine it's got to be pretty high, it, pretty high near the top, if not the top figure. Uh, it, it was a very fast race, and, you know, it's just one of those I, I hope I learn from it and move on, but I try not to dwell on losses because in this game you're going to lose a whole bunch more than you win. Uh, so if you dwelled on them, you'd be pretty depressed, I think. Craig, what would you call um, your your what race? What type of race? What what distance? What surface? What what's the hardest speed figure to make? Like, you know, if if I gave you a card of ten of these races, you might consider retiring. <laughs> Well, it's kind of two different questions because the hardest races I would say are turf marathons, uh, because generally when they run, there's one and that's it. So you're basically making a figure for one race. Uh, you can try to compare times from, you know, usually they're at three turns. So you can try to compare one and two turns, but it's not always easy. So those are the toughest. So if you said you gave me 10 of them, then I'd be like, oh, okay, this is easy. It'd be a little bit of a relief. So um, the toughest races are those, but as a group, uh, I would say it's anything involving two-year-olds. Uh because, you know, maidens, obviously, but even stakes, because they're just changing so rapidly. And guys like me and Andy Beyer and Thoroughgraph, when we do figures, we're looking at the history of the horses 
by and large. I mean, we do consider other factors like pars, but there's not a whole lot to go on with two-year-olds, and it's very difficult to predict how much horses improve over time uh, from one race to the next. They're changing distances. They're changing surfaces. So, for example, when Churchill runs these future stars cars or whatever you you whatever they call them. I think it's future stars. Those are the ones where it would probably explain why I have a lot less hair now than I did even 10 years ago, because they are an absolute nightmare. And I've learned, I mean, you just, you don't want to overrate horses because people are betting their, their money on them. They're going to bet figure standouts. And, and I think the inclination is, and it's just a, a natural way of the way we do figures is that we're going to underrate two-year-olds when the races are largely comprised of only two-year-olds. It happens a lot at Saratoga too, where, you know, there'll be a ton of turf races, just a few dirt races. And, you know, maybe not this year because it rained all the time, but, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, a couple two-year-old maiden special weight races, uh, a mile around the Wilson shoot. And those things can just be a nightmare and you got to kind of keep an eye on them as you go forward. I try not to adjust too many figures because, you know, people don't want to bet a horse that ran a 110 and, you know, he runs bad at two to one and comes back next time and all of a sudden that figure's 100 and they're, you know, what the heck's this guy doing? But we do want to get the figures right in the end. So I will change them on occasion if the numbers tell me I, I blew one, which does happen. Do you, do you, uh, do you find yourself like kind of checking your work and, and do you, do you, you know, do you kind of not obsess about it? I don't want to say that, but you know, I would imagine like David Aragona or, or Nick Tamaro who are, who are making these morning lines. I, I, if I was doing that, I would find myself always like kind of like watching the races with one eye on, was I right? Was I wrong? Did I mess this up? Do you, does, does it bug you like that? Or are you pretty comfortable and you're going to be wrong? So you just kind of roll with it. No, I do always watch. I mean, I have your guys show on F on Fox Sports like all day long when when it's on. If not, I have TVG on or I have RTN actually. I mean, I watch a lot of track feeds as well. Uh, so I'm watching and I'm always looking at the figures, wondering, you know, I have a list of figures that I want to keep an eye on. So I know when there's horses in them, but I wouldn't say I obsess over it because a lot of times I get notes. Uh, you know, from people at DRF or from my old boss who's retired now, hey, what about this figure? It looks wonky. And, you know, just because a horse or two comes back and doesn't live up to expectations or, or they run better doesn't necessarily mean a race is wrong. You just you have to give it more time then. You can't react too quick to to individual races because you'll just be you know, swinging and missing a lot when you do it that way. You have to trust the work that you do, know that you put the time into it and, and live with it. And, you know, while fully acknowledging that you're going to make some mistakes along the way, because speed figures are subjective. We use objective measures to do it, like the time of the race, which hopefully are objective. Uh, but for the most part, speed figures are subjective. So you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to make some good calls and you have to live with them. Uh, of the 14 Breeders' Cup races, was there a figure that kind of stands out to you as being was that was tif that was difficult to make, that was hard to kind of kind of uh, nail down, or were they all pretty straightforward? Because you know you're dealing with kind of the best of the best. 
Yeah, the only one that really stood out was the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Uh, and I actually don't do Southern California figures. My assistant does, who I actually had lunch with on Breeders' Cup Wednesday. People always wonder I don't mention his name. The reason I don't mention his name is because nobody really knows who he is anyway. So it wouldn't matter. He he prefers he's not a big, he's not a social media presence or anything like that. So I just don't say it because he doesn't, uh, doesn't care to have it out there. And that's fine by me. But uh yeah, he did the figures, but I did them as well because it was the Breeders' Cup. Um, I actually upgraded that figure a little based on his recommendation. Uh, I actually would have had it a little lower, but it was the one race on the two days where I think that the track definitely changed quite a bit. He agreed with me. He just had it a little bit less than what I did, uh, so... I went with his because he's much more familiar with Santa Anita, but I've seen a lot of talk about that sprint figure. Some people have it like the fastest race ever. Some people have it very fast. Uh, I just have it kind of average uh, for sprints. And when I look at the Timeform US chart, which is probably my favorite tool for speed figure making, because you can see what all the horses have done, as, as you all know. Before and after the race, you can scroll through a horse's whole lifetime history. And had I rated that Breeders' Cup sprint the same as all the other races using the same track variant, I mean, we would have had just all the horses running crazy lifetime tops, which, I mean, if you want to make an argument, Elite Power, two-time Breeders' Cup winner, won the Saudi sprint, that maybe he's a little underrated. I guess I could buy it. But when I look at all the other horses in the race, uh, it would be hard for me to say Nakatomi suddenly ran a 15-point career best because I just don't think he's all that good, and I'm very happy with the figure I gave. So uh, we use some symbols in Timeform US to indicate when we make calls like this. Uh, the Breeders' Cup Sprint has a B for a breakout. So we tell the customers, hey, we didn't use the same variant that we use for all the other races. But in this case, I'd be very surprised if I had to go back and make a change. Like and, and how you know how much do you think that the I see you have the the fractions coded blue for those that aren't familiar with Timeform US. One of my favorite things that you do, Craig, is that if a, if a pace is fast, you you code those red to to identify those pace figures or 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 fractions as fast, and you'll do them blue for slow. Which is you know if you like you said you watch the Fox Show, it's my favorite thing to say. Closing into slow fractions, I should give you a royalty because when I say that on the air, it's because I see the blue and it's easy for me to identify. Do you think that? Do you think that it, the the figure was tricky because the pace was slow and that's kind of it's coated blue? Like that's weird for a Breeders' Cup sprint to have blue fractions. It is now part of that. Uh, the, the color coding is based on the final time figure. Uh, as you know, some people will look at the race and say, well, how could a 44 and one or whatever it was, 4435 be coded in blue? That's flying. It's not that that's a slow pace. It's slow compared to the final time. Uh, that figure at the half mile was just a 118. The final time was a 125. So some of that has to do with how fast Elite Power closes, which is really his calling card. I mean, that's how he wins his races with a strong closing kick. Uh, I don't think that really had too much of an effect on the figure and the breakout that we did. Maybe it slowed the final time a little bit because that's what happens on third. The, the analogy I like to use is, you know, if Usain Bolt walked 10 meters and then ran 90, he's never going to break his, his world record. Uh, he's just going to run, in a, you know, he'd run a terrible time for 
frankly, if he did that. So that's how I look at the blue fractions. If you run slow early, you, you're taking away from your final time. So we do build that in a little bit. His final time figure was actually a 125. Um, very rough guide. I say we're about 20 points higher than buyer speed figure. So the difference really isn't as big as some people would have it. I forget what the buyer figure was, maybe around 110. But I saw like the Ragus and Cheats had it like one of the fastest figures they've given in a long time. And I, I just don't buy that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, people always ask me about like Thurograph or Ragazin, and I, I just, I, I tell them I, I always, I do believe you should look at two figures. I, I think that that's an important part of the game because like you said, it is subjective. And if, if, if you have it fast and buyer has it slow or, you know, then you have to make a decision or if you both have it slow, then it's probably slow or you both have it fast. It's probably fast. I've, I've just never really got into um, the Ragazins or, or, or Thurograph just because I feel like they kind of give too much credit for ground loss. And that might just be my, you know, you know, I'm like an old handicapper now, or I don't, I don't look at that because it doesn't make, you know, but I just, that, that's the one negative I find in those figures. Do you, do you, do you feel the same way? Do you look at them? Do you use them? I do not use them. Uh, and I'll be brutally frank, uh, growing up, I, you know, when I first got into the game, they were huge, uh, both thoroughgraph and the sheets. I remember seeing them, but they were out of my price range. So it was definitely a non-starter for me. Uh, and I learned to handicap without them. I know quite a bit more about them now, particularly Thoroughgraph. I, I don't know a whole lot about Ragazins. We actually had them in Timeform USPPs for some time. And I, I just didn't get them. I think maybe something was lost without the graphing feature to kind of show the ups and downs. But I respect the Thoroughgraph figures quite a bit on the times I've seen them. But I am a little dubious on the ground loss. Uh, my dream one day is to be able to do pace figures with ground loss included because I think what gets lost is it's not so much always the ground loss as it is when when in a race the ground loss occurs and how it relates to the pace. Like if you get one of those blue fraction turf races where, you know, they're going a, a mile and an eighth and the first half is in 50 or 51 seconds, what difference does it make if you're four wide around the first turn? You're still keeping up with very minimal effort but if you're four wide around the first turn in red fractions when you know it's like a a 45 half that that's a whole different story and you know i relate i it's hard to uh, believe if you look at me now i'm a much bigger guy uh not in the shape i used to be but i used to do a whole lot of running so i like to use running analogies you know, if I'm sprinting and I run in the widest lane on the track around the turn, somebody who's the same speed running on the inside, I'm going to be absolutely exhausted trying to keep up with them and I won't be able to. But if we're just going at an easy canter, I could go a little bit faster and I'm going to keep up and it's really not going to cost me at all. So that someday that'll be my dream. But for now, the horse racing industry is not providing ground loss to us and there's just too many tracks too many days uh to try to do that manually for me uh maybe if i had a team someday we could do it but eventually i think the technology's got to be there where we can trust it and we know how far horses ran and at what points they were running further than the rest of the field i've always and, and look I, i'm not going to do it so i don't mind sharing it I, I, but i've always kind of wanted I'm just maybe, maybe this is maybe I'm just planting the seed so you'll you'll do it and get DRF to do it. I've always thought that 
taking the formulator stats, like, and, and taking like, you know, let's, let's say, uh, Chad Brown, first time turf or, or Bob Baffert blinkers off. I, instead of seeing that represented as a percentage, like, you know, eight for 28, I I've always wanted to see that represented as what is the, is the figure improvement? What's the average figure improvement for the changes that are being made? Right. So if, it, it, you know, uh, first off a layoff, you know, it, first off a layoff for a trainer uh, who, you know, they say they're, they're, you know, they're 13 for, for, for 48. I, I'm more concerned that, that those 13 horses improve their figures on average 7.8 points. Like, I think that that would be a much more valuable way to use those trainer stat information, information to have a better idea of how a horse might run today. So that's one of my, one of my dreams. You, you mentioned your dream about ground loss in, in terms of pace. That's kind of one of my dreams is trainer stats um, displayed as, as, as figure improvements. Yeah, that's interesting. I particularly like that for claiming. Uh, I'm not sure, so sure about layoffs and things like that because Horses are changing age. You know, a lot of times a horse will come back six months later uh, from a two-year-old layoff. I don't know how easily that would compare to, say, a four-year-old, but you could probably break it into subcategories. But that's something I always used to do with claiming races. Uh, I didn't worry too much about the percentage. Uh, generally, they corresponded, though. Horses who win a, a large percentage off the claim, they're they're improving their speed figures quite a bit. Craig, what is your look? I mean, you've been people who who follow you have, have have noticed, and and it's a it's not just you. It's all all figure makers make the same complaints that you make. You just happen to 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 make them in in a more public. I mean, everyone, you know, Nick Tamara, who worked for the buyer speed figure team, uh, Paul Matisse, who makes his own figures. I've never heard a, a figure. Sean Borman, who just won the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. I've never heard a figure maker not complain about a lot of the issues that we have in terms of timing, what's kind of your wish list of things that you wish we did or we had in terms of, of timing and, 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 and making your job as a figure maker easier and making your figures better. What, what are some of the things that you wish that we had? I would say the, the things that would make speed bigger, making easy and easier and make the most sense are, Two things, really. You time from the gate. Uh, forget run up. It's silly. Nobody else does it. Uh, it's There's no reason for it, really. And two is you tell us exactly how long the race is. Because right now, we're running races that nobody knows how long they are. Um, even when they list a run up in the chart, it's often not accurate. Uh, a lot of people may, may not realize this, but the run up is what the tracks tell Equibase the run up is going to be. It's not always that. Matter of fact, many times it's not even close to that. Some tracks do a good job at it. Some tracks don't. I'm not going to call out names because it's something that is being worked on behind the scenes. I will say I, I work pretty closely with the group at Equibase uh, with timing and with things like that. And they do want it to get better. Uh, Equibase doesn't control what racetracks do. They can give uh, inputs and, and hope that they... They listen to them, but those are the two things. Just as a speed figure maker, we want to know the distance and we want to know the time. From there, everything else uh, would be easy if we could trust those two numbers. Uh, it wouldn't even matter if you want to call a race six furlongs and you know you put the gate a little bit different than the other. Just call it six furlongs, but just tell us how far it really was. <laughs> 
why so let's start with run up why did it ever why did it start to be why did it start and why won't they let go of that cookie I don't really remember why it started. I know Pat Cummings put a good article out there. If you Google Pat Cummings and run up, you'll find it. He goes into the history of it. I, I really don't remember. I think it had to do with just making the horses look faster compared to quarter horses. Uh, kind of silly if you ask me. Who knows? Why they won't let it go, I have no idea. I guess it's just one of those that's, that's how it's always been. Uh, I guess Canterbury's getting rid of it this upcoming meet. We'll see how that works out. Uh, I, I have my fingers crossed that it will work. It'll take some getting used to seeing slower fractions and thing like that. Uh, the thing I really want to see is if they're consistent putting the gate in the right place because, you know, five feet could make a big difference. It's one of those things we, you have to get them both, but it's a good start. It, somebody has to be first and I applaud Canterbury for giving it a shot. How many races a week, Craig, do you feel? Uh, well, let me back up. For those that don't know, you you do use some video software at times if there's a timing malfunction to kind of retime the races and, and to make sure that you get an accurate uh, time for a race that, that might have, you know, we've all seen it where the fractions pop up and it's, you know, 20.16, they're going a mile and three eighths. Like we've seen that. Um, how, how many races are you doing a week that are, that are, that you do have to use the video to, to fix the, the time. It kind of varies. It's a little slower this time of year because there's just not as many tracks running. Um, and it just depends what tracks are running. Again, I, I don't want to beat up on racetracks. My, my bosses aren't big fans of that, which is understandable, but uh, you know, some are better than others. Some cause constant headaches right now. It's pretty slow. Like I only had the time, Two races from yesterday, I think one was at Charlestown, one at Indiana or Horseshoe, Indianapolis. Um, so it's not too bad currently. It's just one. We have a system set up where I get a sheet every day, which kind of gives me all the races with missing fractions or all the races that were hand timed around the country. Uh, there's some tracks, believe it or not, that still hand time all the races. So when they're running, I'm timing all of them. Uh, they're generally smaller tracks, of course, but they're tracks that have horses ship around to tracks that do get a, a more popular set that are a more popular signal. So we still want to have good figures for them. Like me uh, here in Oklahoma, I timed the races from Fair Meadows, Tulsa, which might seem silly. You're like, uh, you know, hardly anybody's betting that. But there are people that buy PPs for Fair Meadows, Tulsa, but more importantly to me, those horses ship to Will Rogers Downs and they ship to Remington Park, uh, a signal that, you know, I'm really familiar with and, and will definitely spend some dollars on. So when those horses show up, I, I don't want to have blanks in my PPs or figures based on hand times, which frankly, hand times are totally untrustworthy. Every now and then they'll be in the ballpark, but more often than not, as a speed figure person, they're just simply not not close enough to be used. Um, what, what, what racetrack, well, not what racetrack, I, I don't want to, I don't want to drag you down that, that, uh, I don't want to drag you down that, that path at Saratoga, right? We're, we're always at Saratoga. What's, what's the, what distance is, is the toughest for you? Like what, what is the rail settings? I, I've, I saw you talking about the rail settings a little bit this summer, um, being kind of tricky for you. What's, what's kind of the, the toughest obstacle at, at a place like Saratoga? 
Saratoga, probably, well, I mean, I mentioned the two-year-olds. They run a lot of two-year-olds, so those are tough. Uh, they have two turf courses. So, you know, on a 10-race card, they might run three dirt races. They might run four turf races on one course. They might run three on another. Uh, one of the courses will have the sprints. Uh, one will have, and maybe one route. The other will have all routes. So it's just limited sample size. The same thing happens at Belmont Park. Uh, where they have two turf courses, uh, same thing at Colonial Downs. They call it two turf courses. It's really one gigantic turf course, but they call it inner and outer. And you obviously can't compare when they're running one, you know, some races on a zero rail and some with the rail at like 80 feet. It's essentially two different courses. So it comes down to sample size. Same thing at Gulfstream where they now have well, sort of have a turf course. I guess it's coming back. But like during the championship meet, they had the turf course. They had the synthetic course. They had the dirt course. So, so many times you're just dealing with very small samples where, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you had a nine race card at Aqueduct. It might be eight dirt races and one turf race. Uh, the same thing at Belmont Park. There was much less turf racing. So you just had a lot bigger sample size. Uh, you're getting a lot more races for lately raced horses. You know, we don't just go from maiden wins to to straight allowance or straight claimers. Now we go to non-winners of two claimers, non-winners of three claimers. Uh, so you just have less less information. And probably the biggest one, even bigger than all of those things, is horses just don't race as much anymore. So you have less data, and the data that you do have is less reliable. How about synthetic? I, I've I've always found it hard to to synthetic figures are tricky for me, um, and I, I I guess the the theory is that it shouldn't be any harder than turf, but I, I just I, I struggle with 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 kind of handicapping synthetic figures. How, how do you feel about synthetic figures? I can sum that up pretty quick, and that every chance I get to give my assistant the synthetic tracks, he gets them. Uh, <laughs> That's true story. Uh, he does probably 98% of the speed figures um, and he's good at it. The figures are fine. Like I will bet Woodbine on, on occasion, not just the big days either. I, I like Woodbine because, you know, it's all they have, turf and synthetic. So I, I trust the form there and the figures are good. But other than that, I, I'm not a big synthetic guy. But as far as the times I do make the speed figures, it's similar to turf. I don't find it a whole lot different. Uh, the pace can have a bigger influence than it does on dirt, just like turf racing. So not, it's not all that tough. The one different thing that we do on turf and synthetics uh, is we will actually knock a speed figure down because the pace is really fast on those surfaces, um, particularly in route races, because on turf and synthetics, uh, for the most part, horses are not running uh, as fast as they could or even close to it. Uh, those are, especially turf is generally a faster surface. So there are occasions when the pace is so fast that it just makes unrealistic speed figures that horses are not going to repeat unless they get a similar pace scenario, which doesn't happen very often. Craig, I, 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 I'm sure you're a, I'm sure you're a monster in, in Excel, but I, I enjoy an Excel sheet and, and kind of messing around and putting some things together. What was your, what's your workflow look like? Um, I think for people out there, they'll find it interesting. I, you know, I've talked to other people about how their, their workflow for figures, but let's just say, for instance, let's look at Saturday uh, at, uh, at let's, let's look at today. Let's do today at Del Mar, right? So they're going to run today at Del Mar. 
when will you work on that figure and all the figures from today? And what does that workflow look like? Like what, what are the steps in, in order to get it done? How long does it take you? So what happens once the racing's complete, about an hour after any track is done, uh, I will get all the data through uh, the DRF system that we have set up. I can go download it, and it's just a, a bunch of comma-delimited files, which are text files with every field separated by commas. And I download those. I've written a bunch of computer programs to do all the grunt work. Uh, I use C++ just because that's what I know. Uh, I haven't had to adapt it. I'm sure there's better and, and more modern languages, but they all still work. And when there's like, for example, Aqueduct ran a race yesterday um, where they used a rail setting they've never used before. So that took a little bit of coding to get it to work with my stuff. So I can go in and do it easily. So I just stick with what I know. But what happens? I download that data. Uh, I then check the timing report to see if any races need to be timed. Um, that will pop up on that sheet. If they do, I will generally time them first and fix the times with the times that I come up with. Um, then I run them through some programs to create, uh, worksheets, which is what we make the speed figures from. Uh, they're pretty elaborate. They've grown over, over time. Some of it with suggestions from my, my speed figure maker. But one thing we don't do, uh, People, when I've shown them to people, uh, we don't have, we have zero names on them because we don't want to be influenced by anything like that. We're just strictly looking at numbers, uh, numbers, type of race, things like that. Now, of course, if it's a big stakes race, I know who the horses are. It's not like it's, uh, I don't know who won the Breeders' Cup Classic when I'm sitting there looking at the figure. But for the most part, it's all numbers. We look at it. Uh, we have some projected variants on there. Uh, computerized, but we go through and make our own variants. They're just kind of guidelines to to see where, you know, maybe a good starting point. Uh, very rarely do they actually match in the end. Uh, we put the variants on the worksheet, then I run another program. It processes all the figures, makes them into uh, brand new comma delimited files and upload them back to the DF DRF servers. And eventually they will show up in the uh, PPs and the charts. Uh, generally, I would say I will do that the morning after racing, but on big days, sometimes I'll do it the night of because I want to know the speed figures, believe it or not. Even at 56 years old, I still get excited for big races and wanting to see how fast they ran. I knew with fierceness, he was the one on Breeders' Cup Day that stuck out at me. I really wanted to see how fast he ran. So it, it turned out uh, he he lived up to it when I think it was a 122 he wound up earning on the day. But that's pretty much the process. You know, part of it, I send off the, the workload to my assistant and he does it, sends it back. But Generally, all the races will be there within two, maybe max three days. Uh, we're not going to kill ourselves trying to get Monday speed figures uh, posted by Wednesday because there's just, frankly, nobody sitting around waiting for those. Uh, but Thursday would be probably the latest for a Monday, and everything else is two or three days. And you so you said the variant you 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 don't you basically never just take it for what it's what it comes up. You just use that as a guideline. Yes, for sure. And if we vary by it, you know, by a lot, it's going to raise a flag when we do. And one thing I left out is, you know, I get the list of races that are obvious timing problems, things where Equibase emits fractions or tells us it's hand timed. 
I also generate a list when I run those worksheets that spits out races that look fishy. Uh, and when I say fishy, it's something like if the piece figure went, you know, piece figure flow went 100, 140, 80. You know, stuff like that happens. Data gets typoed. Uh, beams get tripped early and maybe the chart caller didn't notice. You know, sometimes those things are just looking at raw fractions. It's not very easy to see. You know, maybe a 45 should have been a 46. And but but looking at the times raw, they you know, it's like, OK, that's reasonable. But the numbers don't lie. Most of the races that get flagged are when that flow is way off because horses just don't run like that. So. That's another part of the process that I left out. Uh, as far as the variant, um, yeah, most of them will be within shouting range of what the variant is projected, but we like to take a little closer look. I mean, we use, um, how do I want to say it? We use the projection. I look at the last four races that the horses have run. I generally don't like to go any further back than that. I kind of look at how relevant that race is compared to the days, like, if it was a mile and a 16th turf race and today was a mile on dirt, we're not going to use that race. And some horses might not have any races that fit. So we'll just ignore them. And, you know, and those horses get built into the um, overall variant. So we kind of ignore them. Uh, like for the Breeders' Cup, for example, we use time form ratings for the, the foreign shippers. Uh, and there's races where we just don't really trust them. There may, it's not that we don't trust time form ratings. I love the time form ratings, but there are individual races where, you know, maybe it was run over a complete bog or, you know, maybe it came very early in a horse's career and just ones we, it's not all programmed in, but we're going to toss it and say, we don't want to use this projection. We think this race is the best one to use or, or maybe no race at all. And we'll just rely on the American horses. But those are the kind of decisions we make on our own to get away from just having computerized figures, which I would love it if I could do it. And maybe I'm just not a good enough programmer, but I still think there's too much human judgment that that's required. If you try computerized figures, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Craig, how did you find this game that we all love? <laughs> well, that's an interesting story. It goes back a long time to when I was in high school and I went to high school with a guy that probably a lot of people listening to this show, probably every one of them have heard of, and that would be Larry Colmas, the, the voice of the Kentucky Derby and the Breeders' Cup. Uh, we had a lot of classes together at Mount St. Joseph High School in Baltimore, Maryland. And for the longest time, Larry was, I mean, Larry always knew what he wanted to do. He was uh, into horse racing. He wanted to be a track announcer. I can remember him calling mythical races from the ball, not mythical races, but races that had already been run from the charts in the Baltimore Sun. And for those who aren't old enough to remember, uh, charts in the newspaper were a very normal thing. Uh, and Larry would recreate them in the cafeteria and we would all listen. And, you know, he kept bugging me. Oh, you got to come to the track. You got to come to the track. And me, I was always a guy who was into sports, um, baseball, football, basketball. Uh, that was all I really cared about. Well, finally, him and another friend of ours, a guy named Ken Beck, who lives near Charlestown now, uh, talked me into going the Bowie racetrack one day. And that's how it all started. Once I went, I was hooked. The very first race we ever saw, we were up in the announcer's booth. They, uh, the announcer at the time was a guy named Dick Woolley. And 
This is way before there were any formulator stats. The very first race I saw uh, was a maiden race, had first-time starters, and he told us there was a trainer named Odie Cleland. He said, this guy is really good with first-time starters. You, you know, you should probably put a few bucks on him. Well, back then I was like 15 years old. You know, I only had a few bucks. I think I had the whole week's lunch money or whatever and put like, I think it was three or four bucks on this horse and he won at eight to one. And that kind of sowed my fate. That'll do it. That'll get, you, that'll get you. So, so, so 15. So at what point did you, did you, did you calculate your first speed figure? Uh, that would probably be, I joined the air force shortly after 18. Uh, I graduated high school pretty, I was still pretty young. I actually hadn't even turned, um, trying to think, I think I was 16 at the time, soon to be 17, but, uh, yeah, I graduated early. Didn't really went to college for a semester. Didn't was still going to the track, but using speed figures, you know, that I get a hold of, uh, just using the racing form at, at the time. But I had read all the, the Andy Byer books, uh, went into the Air Force. And it's a funny story. I was an air conditioning mechanic, which at the time, we had two different shops in the Air Force. There was a heating shop and there was an air conditioning shop. And I was the air conditioning guy. We would make fun of the heating guys because they didn't have to be as smart. Uh, but believe it or not, eventually the Air Force wised up and merged. But those first probably three or four years, you can imagine as an air conditioning guy, there wasn't a whole lot of work to do in the winter time. There was some like we have walk-in freezers and computer rooms and things like that. And we had to do maintenance going around changing filters and oil and greasing motors, things like that. But I can remember uh, one of my very first things, our boss would give us a job in the winter. And the very first time he did that, I went out and finished. And I think I was done by 1030 in the morning. So I went back in, into the shop and I said, what do you have for me now? And he looked at me and kind of said, you know, get the F out of here. That's it. You're done. You know, you're done for the day. Go find something to do. Uh, so for those winters, uh, I spent a lot of time in the base library, believe it or not, because it was a nice, quiet place. And I doubt those books are there now, but for whatever reason, they had every handicapping book that I think that had ever been written on the subject of horse racing, whether it was uh, Andy Beyer or James Quinn or Tom Ainsley or um, Dick Mitchell, you name them. If there's a handicapping book out there, it was at the McGuire Base Library. William Queeran, who actually is probably my favorite and the one that I grew the most because he was big on pace figures. Um, so I just lived and breathed those books for as long as I could. Got into making speed figures and pace figures. And that's where it all started, really, was at McGuire Air Force Base. I was there. I was stationed there for 10 years. It's where I, I met my wife there. Uh, but there was a good time where we made regular trips to uh, Garden State Park, Philly Park. I had a pretty good following at the base because I was having pretty good success with the speed figures that I made, and everybody wanted to, to go. And there's actually a couple guys. I met a guy at Saratoga uh, who I hadn't seen since probably – 
1989 or 1990 who used to go to Garden State Park with me. And he's become a racing fan because of those trips we used to make. And he goes to Saratoga every year with his daughter. But that's how it all started. And that's where I first started making my speed figures. Yeah, I mean, I can I can only imagine the edge that you had. Um, you know, we, we've famously heard the edge that Andy Byer had. But, you know, I, I think that your figures in, incorporating pace I can only imagine the uh, the edge that that you had, and, and look, I, I I'm sure you still, with it being a public product now, I'm sure that you know everyone kind of knows there's a fast time form figure, but uh, I can only imagine. Yeah, and it was, I mean, speed figures were already popular by then, so it's not like you could win with just speed figures. My biggest edge was definitely pace figures. Uh, there were people out there making them, I'm sure, but. You know, it was also a little harder to bet back then. Most of the most of the betting was done on track. I was in New Jersey, which was kind of the mecca for simulcasting. Like you could go to Garden State Park or Freehold and bet nearly every track, which was way ahead of most places where you couldn't do that. But even then, you know, habits are hard to break. I, I only really bet the stakes races. I mostly bet the local products there. Uh, luckily, where I was, I mean there was just a plethora of tracks within driving range from, from Charlestown in the South to the Maryland tracks, to Delaware, to Philly, to Jersey, to New York. Um, just hit them all, did speed figures for them all. I didn't try to do tracks I was never going to go to. Obviously computers weren't a thing back then. So I had all these notebooks and index cards. It, it was a scene, man. I got to tell you, my wife would just look at these stacked up papers when we were dating. And I think she was wondering what she was getting herself into, but it's all worked out. She's still with me. So, you know, I can't, can't really complain. Greg, what's the, who's the, the fastest horse that you've made a figure for? Like, I, I guess not the fastest race, but the if you can answer both, if you want the fastest race, but the fastest horse that you've that since you've been making figures. Uh, it's hard to compare like way back. So I'll just say since I've been at Timeform US, which uh, started back, I want to say 2013. Uh, it's Gunrunner for sure. Consistently, there's been a couple horses who were close to him. Um, Arrogate ran near what he did once or twice, but he did it like his last four races running in the 140 time form US speed figures. Uh, so he would definitely be the answer for me. Wow. I didn't I didn't think you were gonna say that. I what was Flightline's last race? Or was it oh. Pacific Classic faster? <laughs> Yes, his Pacific Classic was the fastest individual race, no doubt about it. And it kind of shows, I guess I'm a little biased because um, as great as Flightline was, he just was here and gone so fast. That's how, to me, he was a little bit forgettable. Whereas, um, you know, Gunrunner, we saw run at two, three, four, and even one race at five, I believe, when he ran in the Pegasus. Uh, ran pretty often, ran all over the place. So, yeah, the... You are definitely right. The Pacific Classic was by far the fastest race. It got a 148 for me. Matter of fact, it's kind of like an outlier. If you were graphing all the best figures, people would kind of ignore that one as it just doesn't really fit the data set. He was so far ahead of everyone else. I forget when he ran in the Classic. I think he got up there around the 140 mark. So he, he would definitely be the competition, but he didn't run as many of those 140 pluses as Gunrunner. 
Yeah, well, it's it's funny. I mean, that you say that. I mean, Gunrunner is arguably the 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 you know one or two best sires in the world at this point. So it kind of makes sense that you know that he uh, that that he was that he was that fast. Yeah, he, and he, he stuck was, around. That's the you know who knows what would have been uh, had he not. He had some issues early on. He didn't quite develop till later, so he wasn't rushed off to the breeding shed and. You know, I think it does show you can still be a really good sire. Uh, uh, now, I pulled up Flightline while I was talking because it, it didn't really fit. He actually ran a 152 in the uh, Pacific Classic, which oh is even further than what I thought. He ran a 144 in the Breeders' Cup Classic. So he actually has the two fastest. I think Gunrunner had four of those type of figures. But if you ask me who my favorite fast horse was, it, it's going to be Gunrunner. Yeah. Wow. Golly, I can't believe Flightline went off at two to five. He should he should have been <laughs> one to nine. Um, he should have been one to nine. So, Craig, when you were making your when you you were you your figures had a different name before. How, how did that whole time form US thing come about? Well, I was uh, pacefigures.com and it, it goes back a long way to I was just making speed figures for myself. Um, using a TI-82 programmable calculator, you know, before I actually taught myself how to program. I had my brother Justin's insistence, by the way. He said, well, you know, what are you doing? He said, you know, learn how to program. And I had done some programming back in high school, but I just, I didn't have any use for it. So I stopped, but I, I had the aptitude to do it and learned. But uh, the way it all kind of, wait, I got off on a tangent there. What was the original question? uh pace figures how pace figures oh yeah, yeah. turned into okay. time form us so what happened was back in war emblem who is probably has to be my favorite horse ever i was making speed figures and even before the kentucky derby uh i was posting on the paceadvantage.com website uh just about my speed figures and i had been doing pretty well picking some good price horses but before the illinois derby i just told everybody i loved um war emblem in that race it was run at old sportsman's park uh there was a new york course i can't remember his name maybe repent who was the big favorite that day and and i just crushed war emblem and i bet the exact of what repent i think that was his name who ran second war emblem i want to say he was six to one that day he just absolutely romped um from there, he obviously went to the Kentucky Derby. He ran a huge figure in Illinois. He changed barns to Bob Baffert's barn. Obviously not a negative coming from a smaller barn. Loved him in the Kentucky Derby. And Bob Baffert wasn't the name guy that he is now. He was known as a good trainer, but certainly nothing like he is these days. Uh, loved War Emblem that day. He somehow went off 20 to 1 in the Kentucky Derby and won. And from there at the pace advantage like you know i kept picking them and pointing out different horses people were like hey you know what are you doing with these numbers because i i had gotten to the point where i was making printouts i had computerized a lot of it and was posting them and people just showed some interest and said hey i, I want to buy that from you and it was never something i really had even thought about doing it was just strictly as a better but you know it was like uh, I gave it to a few people to try uh, to help me out, to iron out bugs if they saw any. And um, from there, it just kind of grew where people were writing to me saying, hey, I want to buy your numbers. I want to buy your numbers. So that's how it started. I did it on my own at the website, pacefigures.com. 
Uh, did that while I was still in the Air Force, uh, even into after I had retired until eventually Mark Attenberg, who had formerly worked for, for DRF, wanted to start something new. Uh, and he approached me about being the figure guy for Timeform US. That wasn't the original name. I, I don't even know how that came to be, the relationship with Timeform, but it stuck and that's how it all started. And eventually we were acquired by uh, daily racing form. And, you know, now we, we still have the brand name, but we're part of DRF. Right. And, and, and you, it's, you know, I, I was sad when you, I mean, I was happy for you, but I was sad when the, they started showing up in the DRF. Cause I thought you know, for a while, I mean, when I, my, my, my 2015, um, my 2015 NHC tour run and all that stuff was all, was all on the back of Timeform US. Uh, the cap horse that I hit um, in order to to get those two entries to the final table that first year that I played that was that was a Timeform US red coated fraction turf sprinter that shipped from California that went off at twenty to one that won at Tampa. That was all Timeform US. So when it showed up, I was I was uh, I was a little bummed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt the same when Mark first came to me because I knew as a better, it probably wouldn't be the best thing in the world. Uh, but, you know, at the time I was figure maker, I was webmaster, I was programmer, I was customer service and, you know, something had to give. It, it was growing too fast and, and I just... I, I actually had capped the number of people that, that I could have as customers uh, because I just couldn't keep up with the workload. And also it kind of helped with, you know, keeping prices down. But eventually you have to do what's best for, for you and for your health. And I was getting to the point where, you know, I was just working way too much. Uh, and, you know, it's better now. It's still, I still work quite a bit, uh, but it's work I love doing. So it, it's not like uh, I don't enjoy it. I, I certainly do. As you know, I do do a couple podcasts a week with David. I, I do that not because I have to. Uh, I do it because it, it's just something I like. I like talking. We talk speed figures on Tuesday, but we actually handicap on Friday. And for me, that's the most fun one. Craig, before I let you go, I just I, I I'd, I'd be uh, remiss not to ask, what is your your kind of your favorite aspect of, of Timeform US that you feel like maybe is underutilized by your customers, or that you you know you you kind of just wish that people realized how 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 good this one aspect is that you feel like um, maybe some folks aren't taking advantage of. Uh, I think for sure that's the charts. Now I don't. You know, I'm not the uh, now I'm just a figure guy. So I know chart access. It kind of depends on what your su subscription is, how many charts you get to see. But you can really dive into the speed figures and and take a look at them. You can see how strong races are. Uh, it's something I use almost as much as the past performances. Uh, I just go dig into those races and, and look at the horses. And, you know, maybe I say, yeah, that 110 speed figure may that I made for that race. I still think it's solid, but I can go and look and see that the next four horses, I'm a key race guy, but not in the key race in that, you know, five horses came out of it to win because these days you could have a maiden race, five horses come out of it to win. But when you do a deeper dive, three of them, you know, plunge to the bottom level maiden claimers, uh, one, one, and his figure dropped five points against a weak field. What I'm looking for is to see how strong that race was by how strong the horses come out of it speed figure wise. And, 
it's just a tool I really like, and I'll use it negatively too. Uh, I I may think a speed figure is good, but it was kind of a weak field. The the horses coming out of it haven't really lived up to it. Maybe they had a a pace advantage that day, and I just think the chart paints a really good picture of the whole race. We show our bias ratings. We have the colored fractions. And you can scroll, scroll through all the horses, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, their entire life. Uh, from very first start to very last, you can see all of their speed figures. And when you click on those, uh, you every speed figure you can click on, and it pulls up the chart for that race. And you can kind of get lost in there. Like, I still have flight line up from uh, when we were talking about them. He started out with a 121, which is just crazy. Uh, but you can see he just kept getting better, 135, 141. Then he he had a, a little layoff for the Met Mile, had a little tough start, and only ran a 137. You know, it's just one of those things you, you can only, not only as a better, just as a, a horse person who loves the game, you can really explore horses' careers. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I, it's funny you say the chart. I, I, that's one of my favorite parts. I, I, um, and even there was a there was a, a time in which I, I, I don't do it as much as I used to. But using the notes um, aspect, I think, is really cool too. Like you can put your own notes for the race, but you can also put your own notes for each horse in that chart. And and I've I've I you know I found that to be you know tracking bias or you know, trying to point something out that you want to remember when, when you look back, I, I, I thought that was a very useful tool. Yeah, it is. They don't go away. If you put notes in those charts, they're there. Same as if you uh, put them in PPs when that horse runs back, they'll show up. Uh, so yeah, it's a really good tool. Uh, I probably don't use it as much as I should. I rely on my memory, which may not be the smartest thing as I advance in years. Well, selfishly, I got to ask one more thing. Uh, I like on the on the preferences setting, right? So you can click, basically click on any running line, any pace figure, any order, you know, just click right there and a preference thing comes up. I just want to make sure I have mine on weight on. Is that, do I need to have weight on or weight off? I use weight on. I mean, it's their weight matters. I don't think it's a huge thing. But uh, we run queries from time to time, and the figures definitely perform better with weight on. It's not a huge adjustment. We use uh, one point per two pounds. So, you know, if a horse carried 126, say, in the Kentucky Derby, and he comes back only carrying 120, we're going to show him with a three-point faster figure because we're adjusting for that weight. So uh, both ROI and win percentage, the changes are pretty small. Weight's not a huge issue in this country, but uh, weight on is definitely the way to go, in my opinion. And then I put pace figures, and then I do I do this horse adjusted times, and accrued splits. So I do pace figures. So when you do that, the times don't matter. Uh, that's only if you're looking at fractions. Got it. Um, but I do leader personally. I don't do this horse because I want to see the flow of the race uh, as opposed to the individual horse. But there are times I will look back and look at the horse, particularly if they have a weird looking running line. I might want to look and see if they moved into a hotter part of the pace. Uh, so I kind of use those both, but my default is the leader because first and foremost, I'm interested in the race flow, but that can be deceiving. So I'll use both, you know, like if you have a horse that runs off by 10 lengths, like we have so high running uh, Saturday at uh, 
Aqueduct ran off by almost 20 lengths last time. So if you're looking at the leader, that might be a little distorted and a case where I'll definitely want to see individual horse figures. Craig, I could, I could nerd out here with you all day. I, I appreciate you taking the time and we'll, uh, we've, we've, we've had a handful of, of potential repeat customers. We'll, we'll, we'll like to have you back sometime to, to dig a little bit deeper. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks for having me. And uh, it was a pleasure. I gotta tell you, I, I, I feel smarter because of that. It's, it's, uh, I feel, I feel, uh, I feel like a smarter person after having that conversation. I appreciate Craig taking the time and, and being so, uh, upfront and, 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 transparent with with a lot of the issues that he has with some of the the, the timing and the and uh, just some of the difficulties that he has in making the figures and and if you've never used timeform us i i stand by it emphatically it's uh and i don't even know if we went into this i, I can't remember <laughs> because it's been like five days since we recorded but basically you know the timeform us figure is, is is very similar to the way that a buyer speed figure is made however there is a pace component to the number a, a horse who sets an extremely fast pace, but runs second to a horse who had an easier trip, uh, the horse on the lead will still have a higher speed figure. So it, it's, uh, it's a great way to evaluate horses and performances. And like I said, if you've never used Timeform US, uh, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's, a, it's a great tool. It's really fun to look at, easy to use as well. It's a great supplement to whatever it is that you're using now. Um, I want to thank our friends at, at Qatar Racing. If you hadn't had a chance to see the episode that we filmed out in California with Sheikh Fahad, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, I've had a chance to to, to hang out and, and and talk to Fahad and get to know him a little bit better. Really is a funny guy, excited, passionate, loves the game, and uh, their operation at Qatar Racing is always exciting. So make sure that you're uh, checking that out ever so mischievous. Uh, hope to see that horse back soon. You almost had me. Uh, Reagan Swinbank, one of the partners on that horse, sent me the the work uh, from the other day, the video of the work. She looks like she's sitting on a big, big performance whenever we get her back to the races and hopefully a big three-year-old year. I say we because I'm rooting for uh, her. I have, have no interest at all. Um, if you, uh, We're going to try to get another episode out next week during Thanksgiving. So hopefully we'll get this one up over the next day or so. Um, this, I'm recording this on Saturday, November 18th. So hopefully I got it up either today or, or on Sunday, if not Monday at the latest. And then, uh, we'll try to get another episode up next week for those traveling for Thanksgiving. Enjoy your time with your family. If I don't talk to you before then, and I uh, appreciate you stopping by. I need to know everything who in the, what in the, where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them and talk up their body, another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, 